From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. My co-host Jennifer Shutt is taking a break this week, but joining me instead is Paul Krozak, CQ Roll Call's senior budget reporter. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Great to be here. Thank you. And this is a podcast that you might want to listen to when you're hiding under the covers in bed, because we are going to talk about the country's fiscal health, and we got a rude wake-up call uh, last week. That's, that was uh, a very frightening report, Paul, on how government finances are stacking up, mostly because of the coronavirus pandemic. Paul, what is this scary new outlook showing? Well, the, the Congressional Budget Office is now projecting that the deficit for this year will be $3.3 trillion, if you can believe it. Now, that is three times more than the CBO had projected uh, before the pandemic, and it's more than three times more than the deficit was last year. Yeah, that is a tr- dramatic spike. Not necessarily surprising because we knew that Congress was pumping trillions of dollars of additional spending into the economy to cope with the pandemic, but now the bill has come due and the uh, accountants have tallied up the cost, and it is kind of staggering here, uh, which also means a real spike uh, in the debt. Yeah, that's right. Um, As a matter of fact, CBO has been warning for some time that the debt is approaching the level that it was shortly after World War II, which was the highest that it's ever been after World War II. CBO is now saying that the debt will actually exceed that record, break that record um, in just just a couple of years, Um, 2023, the debt will hit 25 billion and that will be 107% of the economy. So it will be larger than the economy. So that will break the record after World War II. And the significant thing about this is that the reason the debt was so high after World War II is because the the country had to borrow so much to fight World War II. But after World War II, um, the economy picked up and and the country was able to repay that money. but, um, but the reason the debt is so high now is primarily because uh, spending is consistently exceeding revenue. And this is primarily because of the entitlement programs, uh, Social Security, Medicare, the aging of the population, rising health costs, growing faster than the economy. So this is a structural problem right now. Um, which is going to continue, which is different from what happened um, during World War II. Yeah, that's a good point. We were already headed for this for this uh, uncharted territory here of, of huge debt because, as you say, of the entitlement costs and rising interest costs as a result, even before the pandemic hit, right? But but now the pandemic has even exacerbated the problem and 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 caused an. Uh, a spike in debt even more quickly than was than was thought previously. And as you said, the, the main reason why the deficit is so much higher 
this year um, is because of the trillions of dollars um, in spending um, to respond to the pandemic and to prop up the economy. And so the question here is, what is going to happen now? Because you know we've always measured debt as a percentage of the economy, as a way to measure it over time. And the fear was if you ever sort of exceeded the size of the economy, you were on really dangerous footing that we haven't we haven't experienced before. Uh, and there would be the the concern is you would really cause a spike in interest rates because people would be skittish about lending more money, and you'd end up in this sort of debt spiral where you could you could never get out of right where where you'd have to, you'd be spending more and more money just to pay interest on the ever-growing debt. That was the concern always, if you let debt get out of control that way. I guess now we're going to test that theory because we are at that point. We will be in just a couple years, and we're going to see whether there's a debt spiral, and we're going to see whether we can... And of course, the recent evidence suggests it may not be so bad. There's been a rethinking of that uh, because interest rates has, are still at rock-bottom levels, and so right now we should say the debt is has been manageable because interest costs are exceedingly low, right? As a matter of fact, um, interest costs are actually dropping. They're not only really low, but they've actually been dropping. And as a result of that, CBO said the the deficit, the cumulative deficit over the next 10 years is going to total about 13 trillion. And that's actually less than CBO projected before. And the reason it's less is because interest rates have dropped more. So even though the debt is exploding over the next 10 years, because interest rates are falling, the, the cost of financing that debt is actually falling. So, um, so interest rates, um, are sort of like a life preserver right now. So that may be the silver lining here and that it may be more manageable than we had at first feared. Um, but we're certainly going to see, Paul, <laughs> in the next few years, we'll see how, how well that, that bears out. It'll be a very interesting test now for the nation's economy uh, as to how much debt the country can really take on uh, without doing itself some real damage. Um, but that that ball is now in play, and we're going to see we're going to see what happens. Um, and then, of course, the other uh, the other frightening report that came out last week from the Congressional Budget Office, which is the nonpartisan budget agency for Capitol Hill, is the health of the federal trust funds that finance Social Security and Medicare, because the pandemic is also making those trust funds a bit sicker. We learned. Uh, because the trust funds are now likely to deplete their reserves at a quicker pace, again, because of the pandemic, right? That's right. I mean, at, at, as you wrote a couple of days ago, the main Social Security retirement fund, that is now set to deplete um, 2031, the disability trust fund even earlier, the Medicare trust fund 2024. And what it means when these funds actually deplete is that um, this will not result in benefits being totally cut off, but, but when they deplete, what the law says has to happen is that the Social Security benefits 
for example, will be cut by some percentage, 20%, something like that, because the benefits will have to be based on the incoming revenue, tax revenue, uh, since the funds are depleted. Oh, yeah, we should say no one really expects that to happen, though. They're not, Congress is not going to allow for a 20% cut in benefits, I, I don't think. I don't think anyone expects that, right? I mean, chances are they're going to have to shore up these trust funds. We don't know how. Chances are they're just going to borrow more money to do it. That's right. Uh, but, but it is striking, Paul, um, how, how the, the, this new forecast really shaves years off the time Congress has to find a fix for these trust funds, because it was just last April, the annual report came out from the Board of Trustees for Social Security, who said the trust fund for Social Security wouldn't be depleted until 2034. Now, CBO comes out, but that, that report, we should say, didn't account for the pandemic. They, they said at the time they couldn't account for it because it was too uncertain yet what the effects would be in April. Now the CBO has come out and said, accounting for the pandemic, that actually the fund would be depleted in 2031. That's three years earlier. So that shows you all the, all the fewer years you have to deal with the problem. And the problem is even more urgent for Medicare. Uh, CBO now said that the fund will be exhausted in 2024, which is just two years earlier than they had forecast back in March. So in both of these programs, we have several fewer years now to find a financial fix. That's another challenge Congress faces, not immediately. Uh, they're certainly not going to address it this year in an election year, but soon now they're going to have to address both the Social Security and Medicare trust funds to prevent benefits from being cut, which again, no one is going to tolerate, I don't think. So that means either raising payroll taxes, which right now they're trying to suspend for the pandemic, or cutting benefits, which no one expects to happen, or, of course, borrowing still more money and raising these frightening deficits even higher. So the options here are not that palatable, which is why Congress keeps postponing the day of reckoning on this. So we will certainly be following that and at the same time, we should just touch, Paul, on, the, on uh, where we are with spending deals here, because you reported just, just uh, the other day that um, they, do, they do want to avoid a government shutdown, which would happen at the end of this month, uh, because no, none of the fiscal 2021 spending bills have yet been signed into law, or any, there's not even a de deal on them yet. Um, but there is a tentative commitment to do a stopgap, right? That's right. That's right. Um, earlier this week, uh, uh, Speaker uh, Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin um, had a phone call, and the phone call was primarily about um, the um, continuing talks on legislation for another COVID-19 relief bill. But they did agree during that phone call to pursue a, a uh, continuing resolution, a, a stopgap uh, spending bill um, that would it would continue current year spending into the next fiscal year to avoid a partial government shutdown. And they agreed to pursue a clean CR, which basically means it would be 
a continuing resolution that would not have controversial provisions attached to it, that they both want to avoid a shutdown. The most significant thing here is both sides want to avoid a shutdown. Uh, right. We don't know yet how long this stopgap would go or exactly what would be in it. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the key question is how long it would last, I think. It's no surprise they want to do a stopgap because nobody wanted a shutdown. I mean, that, I think that was always clear. They knew they had to do a stopgap measure. But the question is, how long would, would it last, right? Because there are political considerations here, depending on who's controlling Congress and who controls the White House. They're doing this with an election coming up. That's right. I mean, we know that the, um, the White House and Republican lawmakers prefer a, a stopgap that would go into December um, after the election and then try to wrap up all the fiscal 2021 bills um, before the end of the calendar year. Republicans prefer that because they know Trump will still be in office in December and Republicans will control the Senate, they know, so they can they know they there's they'll still have an ability to to shape a final spending deal right by December. Right. Whereas right. if they wait into the new year, they don't know they could they could lose power. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and for that very same reason, um, if Democrats uh, think that they will win the White House and also win control of the Senate, that gives them an incentive to want to skip December and have the stopgap go into next year, perhaps March. So it's possible that Democrats will push for that. We don't know yet. So a lot to do, plus talks now that, now that Congress is coming back, starting this week in the Senate and next week in the House. They've only got a few weeks here They're trying, before the, can't, they go back to campaigning and they want to wrap up a, a new uh, coronavirus aid package, which is still, uh, which has still been stalemated. So they have to do that. They have to do this stopgap. They've got a lot on their plate. And the fiscal picture looks ever more frightening, and it seems to only be getting worse. If that hasn't depressed you enough, uh, it'll have to for now, because that's, I think that's all the time we have for today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Paul, for joining me. Thank you. And Jennifer Shutt should be back with me next week. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. You can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>